Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast where we have conversations on just about everything to do with midlife. I'm your host, Jill McGregor, and my guest today is Magic Bartley. In 2017, Magic established Holistic Natural Health Australia, bringing together a small group of holistic practitioners. She specializes in a number of modalities herself, which include mold toxicity, innate immunity and functional health solutions, and psycho-neuro-endo-immunology of trauma. She is best-selling author of Gut Recovery and Whole Foods, and as well as that, she has another book called Stop Being Fat, Love Yourself Skinny. She is mother of two amazing humans and has two gorgeous fur babies, is a grower of organic food for her family, and is a passionate native gardener. How do you do it all, Magic? You're very welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jill. Uh, how do I do it all? I just do because it's important to me. I live my passion. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I just love your whole array of different things that you do. And I'm really looking forward to us getting into having a good chat about it all. But first of all, would you tell me, was your name given or did you choose that yourself? <laughs> it's a bit of both. <laughs> so my grandfather called me magic, but no one really listened. And then later, when I was about 11, I was having some problems at school. I was always kind of an outsider and black sheep, if you will. And I went to him at his nursing home. I said, oh, this is happening. And he said, stop driveling about it. I called you magic for a reason. And so he helped me change it. I was just going to ask you, why did he call you magic? There must have been something he saw in you. I think I was always the favourite. So I'm the last child in my generation, but I'm the only girl. So I kind of got away with things that my cousins really detested, my brother detested, because they would get in trouble for everything. And, for example, my papa, my grandfather, played bowls. And in the flat that he and my nana had, there was a cupboard down the bottom of the stairs at the front door and his bowls uniform would hang proudly in there you know sparkling white and his hat very starched and I would come in from the mud because I was a bit of a tomboy and get his hat down and jump on it and he'd go oh darling and my cousins would only have to look at the cupboard and get a hiding and my brother uh, quite a few times got a bit of a wallop for touching the bowls uniform but I guess I kind of got away with it all. So, yeah, we were very kindred spirits. Oh, that's lovely. Has he passed on now? He has. He passed on in the 80s, unfortunately. But you know what? I had a good 16 years with him and that was such an education. And, you know, whenever you have a grandparent that you're very close to, it's a very, very special bond and relationship, isn't it? It is. And I was really lucky that three of my four grandparents, I was very, very close to. Unfortunately, my paternal grandfather passed before I was born. But certainly both my maternal grandparents and my paternal grandmother, uh, I was extremely close to all of them. And through no fault of my parents, I'm not laying any blame they had going on what they had going on, but both of them were quite distant as parents. And I was blessed to have my grandparents. 
Yeah, it's a very, very loving relationship. I was raised by my grandmother because my mother had me when she was very young. Uh, well, she was 21, but it was still young, but she had me on her own and that was in the early 60s. So, you know, I was raised by my grandmother as sort of as a result of that. And uh, even though she was a very harsh woman, it was still, I was very, very close to her. So I can completely understand that. And I believe that one of your grandmothers is from Dublin. Is she Irish? Yes, so Netta, Netta, my nana Dolly. Dolly is what she was known as, but Netta was her name. Uh, Yes, she was Irish. And you know, I just love the Irish accent because it just reminds me of my Saturday mornings with Nana Dolly. <laughs> she would always make me bagels and stewed apples. <laughs> it was just beautiful. Did she, was she born in Ireland and then moved to Australia? She, yeah, she was born in Ireland and she met her husband who was Scottish and they got married over there. And then they travelled out here with their three young boys who were all born in Scotland. So she went from Ireland to Scotland to Australia. Uh, Yeah, there was uh, quite a migration between um, especially Donegal, which is further north in the country, over to Scotland and uh, also then over to the UK as well into England. So anyway, Magic, it was lovely to sort of, you know, get to you know, get a little bit of, con- put you in context there a little bit into Ireland because I know that you had that connection. So normally we start with where you are or how you got into midlife, how that journey was. But with you, it would be kind of putting the cart before the horse a bit because I really want to start with how you got into the healing profession in the first place because you know, there were certain things that happened in your life that got you into it. So do you just want to take it away there and tell us a little bit about that? For sure. Well, the listeners probably need to know I had no life plan after 21. I did everything I could to write myself off. Coming from a family that was torn apart when I was very, very young, didn't have good relationships built and I didn't have a good relationship with self in fact that was the last thing on my mind so I was drinking and going out and being around dangerous people and doing whatever I could because as long as I was having fun it didn't matter so I got to my 21st birthday and literally spent a weekend somewhere in the world I have no idea where passed out completely and just remember waking up three days later back in my home in Adelaide in South Australia at that point. And that was kind of how my life went. And I thought I was invincible. I had an eating disorder, but I was still alive. So, you know, nothing's ever going to kill me. It'll never catch up. Well, fast forward six years later, and I've just had my first child. And I'm like, oh, I've gone from anorexic to morbidly obese, and now I have a baby. Hmm. Two years later, another child even bigger and now two babies great I didn't have a plan for this so my health started failing and I started asking questions of my doctors and they couldn't give me the right answers like everything was either my fault or I was making it up at one point one of the doctors wrote on my file that I had Munchausen's 
well, I've just gone from 45 kilos to pregnant twice, and now I'm 144 kilos. So something's not right here. And I never really took what they said as gospel. So I started looking into my health. I got into fitness. I opened a gym. I lost a lot of weight. I actually lost half my body weight. And I thought, right, that's it. Holy grail. Now I'm happy with my body. You know, this is great. I'm a healthy body weight for the first time in my life. My kids are growing up. That's fine. And then I got sick. So I got cancer. I got diagnosed with diabetes and also had Lyme disease. And this was all at the same time. And I found out I just had too many strokes along the way while I was big. And so I thought, oh, this isn't what I thought. Again, because I had no life plan, I couldn't say this wasn't in the plan because there was no plan. This just was not what I was expecting. So here I am, late 30s, early 40s, and I'm like, hmm, my body's not doing what I need it to do. I can barely even hug my kids. In fact, my eldest son, when he was nine, broke my heart. So he actually tried to hug me and started crying. And he goes, all I want for Christmas is to be able to put my arms around you, mummy. And I went, I have to change my ways. Something has to happen here. And so, yeah, I threw myself into nutrition and fitness. Like I said, then I got sick. So I realized I was missing something in the puzzle. It wasn't that I wasn't eating rubbish and it wasn't that I was exercising like a demon three hours in the gym. That, you know, that didn't fix the problem. The problem was still there and the problem was getting bigger like a snowball turning into an avalanche. So I started throwing myself into natural health, functional medicine, and really looking at why is this happening? What's caused this? And how do I fix it now? That was some journey, Magic. It really, really was an incredible journey. You got as far as doing the gym and you had lost some weight at that stage when you opened, you opened the gym yourself. It was your business, wasn't it? So I opened my gym and because I was left with body dysmorphia, which obviously I already, already had from the anorexia, but after gaining weight and then losing it, I couldn't see my size and I still struggle with that today. So my gym had no mirrors. It was a special populations gym. So that means anyone who's unwell, you know, chronically ill, morbidly obese, anorexic, anyone who doesn't fit into the stereotypical, you know, gym person um, was welcome there. And I had no mirrors. So what they were seeing wasn't distracting them from what they needed to do. But I still wasn't well. So what was the next steps you took then when you decided to go a little bit deeper into why you weren't well? So the next steps were for me to find out what was the root cause. So I met a wonderful couple of mentors who I still work with today and look at almost what came first, the chicken or the egg. Why did I not have a good perception of self? Where did that come from? Why could I not metabolize nutrients? Where did that come from? Why did I get cancer? Why did I form diabetes? Like, what was the root cause of all of this? And, you know, unfortunately, the story of my health continues that 
once I was diagnosed with cancer, it was stage four. So it had entered my lymph nodes and I was going through divorce at the same time. And pretty much with my arm twisted behind my back, had to have the cancer removed by surgery because otherwise I would have been seen as an unfit parent by ignoring mainstream wise my health. So reluctantly, I had the surgery um, to try and save my kids through the divorce. And then I realized, hang on, that just cutting it out is not doing what I need it to do. Why was it there in the first place? What is a cancer and why is this happening? So post-surgery, I developed more symptoms and more issues. And, you know, I realized that medical mismanagement in the surgery, they'd created a structural issue in my neck. And from that, I now deal with stenosis and hypoxia. So the nerves and all the pathways in my neck crushed from the surgery so I get very short of breath, I get nerve pain and, you know, a lot of neck pain. So again, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it that my stenosis and my hypoxia now are the problem or is it what caused the cancer in the first place? So that's what I look at now. What causes the problem? So through my mentors, as I said, I learned how to identify root cause. I learned how to work with the five types of immune systems. And here I am midlife and just turned 50 literally a couple of weeks ago and I'm probably healthier now than I ever have been but of course you just get around one corner and there's another closed door in your face hello menopause my goodness I would like you to backtrack a little bit before we go into what you did with menopause you mentioned hypoxia and stenosis would you mind explaining what they are Sure. So stenosis is a structural issue and it's when the vertebrae are pushed too close together. So they're not in line as they should be. There's no nice gaps. And of course, through those gaps is where all your arteries, nerves and veins have to travel. And, you know, the human body is an amazing piece of machinery because it's designed to have those gaps. Well, on the right side of my neck, I don't have those gaps. So I have to, every fortnight, see my chiropractor, get everything put back into place and just recreate those gaps that should naturally be there. So that's stenosis. What hypoxia is, is a lack of oxygen. So through all your uh, circulatory system, that's your transporter of oxygen through your body. And because of the crushing in my neck, don't get enough oxygen going through my bloodstream. So I can get very low blood pressure very quickly and be walking and all of a sudden I'm feeling dizzy and out of it and I can get very short of breath. So I do everything I can naturally. I use a couple of supplements, but I do everything I can naturally to increase my oxygen saturation. Do you do any breathing exercises to do that? Because it's funny you should say that for the last year I've been doing 
Have you heard of John Dulyard? He's a Canadian Ayurvedic practitioner and I've been doing his breathing technique, which I'll probably get this wrong and you'll know what it is, but where you hold the breath out until you can no longer hold it out anymore. So the oxygen starts jumping out of the blood and into your cells. Is it hypoxia or something like that? But anyway, I've been doing this breathing exercise for the last year most mornings and it wakes me up in the morning it really does and I tape my mouth at night as well so I I actually really from the first night that I did that I woke up the next morning refreshed so I have a little bit of an understanding of what you say about getting the oxygen more into the blood and into the cells totally and I was going to say mouth taping is so so important because what it actually does is it resets your central nervous system so you're not working in sympathetic dominance trying to make up for things and breathing through our nose is the correct way of breathing what a lot of us do when we're asleep is we unconsciously breathe through the mouth and that's when you wake up and you've got dry mouth and a bit of a sore throat and your lips are cracked that shouldn't be happening just by using I use a little bit of the paper tape that you would just use post pathology to stick the cotton ball to your arm well that kind of tape is the best because it's so gentle on your lips and you just put a little square of it in the middle you don't need to completely tape your mouth, but just having that little square while you're asleep stops you actually from opening your mouth and helps you breathe through your nose. I love it. I really love it. And I actually have the roll of tape by my bedside and it goes on most nights anyway. And I sleep much better and I'm more alert. I don't actually even need to sleep as many hours either. It's just been great. But the other thing, and I don't want us to skip over that, you mentioned that you got over fourth stage cancer. How did you do that? So first of all, I looked at what is a cancer. So a cancer is a collection of dead cells. Now, these dead cells, you're supposed to be able to get rid of yourself. But for some of us, our body goes, there's a collection of dead cells here. I don't know what to do. I'm going to create like a rubbish bin to put them in. But just in case it gets windy and the bin, fly, bin lid flies off, I'm going to nail the lid on and I'm going to use, you know, a whole roll of electrical tape and keep it there. And it can sit there till I work out what to do. Well, that is technically what a cancer is. So it's that rubbish bin that your body's created full of dead cells. So what happens with cancer is in mainstream medicine now, it's called cut, burn, poison. So they try and cut the bin out, which they did with me. When you do that, you can nick the edges of the bin and let some of the dead cells back out. You can try and burn it or you can try and poison it. Now, any of these things are treating the bin. They're not treating the cells in the bin. So if you destroy the bin in any way, one of those cells can leak out and you've got another cancer. And so that is the situation that happens. So for me... It was, I did a lot of fasting. I did a lot of addressing my latent infections. So infections that I'd had when I was childhood that were still there, that were popping up every time I got stressed or every time I felt unwell, you know, bam, here it is. So the people, for example, that get cold sores when they're stressed out, guess what? You've got an infection that hasn't been addressed. 
Now you do that often enough, your body has to create that rubbish bin. So I addressed all of these things that had caused the cancer rather than just go after the cancer. So now my markers are very, very low. I'm certainly not in the clear and I probably never will be. So, you know, all these people out there that go, yeah, I put my cancer in complete remission. No, you didn't. No, no, no. Your body created a cancer for a reason. If you haven't fixed that reason, then you're still in danger. So I keep an eye on it. I, like I said, test my markers quite often. They're very, very low. I don't say I cured my cancer because you can never really do that. But I've certainly looked at the reasons why my body felt that I needed to do that. Um, Unfortunately, yes, it was in my lymph nodes and I lost a good chunk of the lymph nodes from my neck. And so that's now given me lymphedema. So now I have to manage that. Is it something that will go away? Probably not. But it's something I can manage. And as long as I'm aware of what my body is telling me, what is happening, you know, my hands feel a bit tight or fluidy, or I start getting, you know, a bit of random pain here or there, or take my socks off and there's an imprint from my sock on my foot, I know the fluid is stagnant. I need to do something about that. What are the markers that you mentioned that you measure? Is you measure what are you measuring with the markers? So yeah, basically you're looking for certain proteins called C-reactive proteins. There's a number of cancer markers on blood tests, but I look at my proteins because I know that undigested or unresolved proteins floating around in my body are going to create inflammation. So for me, that's how I've tracked it. But for me, it's also, you know, not even looking at the blood test, but how am I feeling today? So one of the big things when I was diagnosed with cancer was chronic fatigue. I would just lie in bed and look at my kids and they'd be sitting on my bed going, can we go for a walk? Uh, No, mummy can't do that today. I need to go back to sleep, but you just got up. Yeah, but I need more sleep. So now I listen to my body. And when I feel tired, that kind of tired that you just can't sleep off, I go, right, body's telling me something. I don't want to be sick again. So I'm going to listen. What can I do to raise my energy in a natural way without overexpending the energy that I do have? But how can I honor what my body's trying to tell me? So there's a number of ways you can look for cancer markers, but really the best way is listen to your body. You don't have cancer today as such, but you have a very, very low level of it. Do you think? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, I don't go to mainstream doctors anymore because I don't trust them after what they did to my neck so yeah I don't have cancer today whether there is a rubbish bin of cells or not in my body at this point in time it's not causing me any problems I'm not sticking my head in the sand because I listen to my body so what does my body need from me today what is going on so today I've got a bit of a tickly nose a bit of a sneeze coming on Am I going to say, well, it was three degrees Celsius here last night and I forgot to put the heater on? Is that why I've got a tickly nose? Is there dust in the air? Or do I need to put some nutrients in? So I've already been sucking back the essential oils in my water bottle. I've treated the nutrient issue here. I'll have a salad or a juice later. 
and go for a walk. The, the sun's out here today, so I'll go get some vitamin D happening and I'll do some grounding in the earth. That might be enough. And, you know, this all comes because I felt like I needed to sneeze. So it's really listening to what is your body saying at any point in time. Nothing happens without a reason. It's incredible what you say about listening to your body. I always noticed when things would happen in my body, but I continued that when I got into doing healing work myself for a time, even though I don't really do that so much anymore, I really could feel different things in my body, but you've really gone a step beyond, obviously because you got sick and you were quite seriously ill as well at different points. It's as though you've really gone into almost down into the atoms and cells looking into your body. I mean, even before we get to the menopause side of things as well, would you tell us about some of the things that you actually practice and how you work? There's two or three things that we mentioned. So you pick whichever one you like the best for us to talk about because you've done so much magic. I think we need to get you back on again already at this stage. I'm thinking that. Definitely. So one of my mentors is Dr. Stuart Gillespie, and he teaches innate immunity and functional health solutions. So I met with him many years ago now and started doing his courses and it made sense. Things that I really wanted to learn. And he was like, yes, we're talking about root cause and we're finding pathogens and we're doing this. And and so that made a lot of sense. So I've been studying with him now for I think four years and really throwing myself into the advanced immune system. So what immune type are you? Why are you that immune type? Why are you presenting as that? What is causing that? That is one area. I guess through that came my introduction to mold. So here in Australia, mold is a big problem as it is worldwide, but We build houses here to become completely airtight, completely sterile. No one opens doors. There's no cracks in the walls to let air through. And, you know, we live in a a country here in Australia that is very hot or it's very cold. Or in one day it could be both. So the heaters are on, the heaters are off. Air conditioners are on, air conditioners are off. Well, all these things create condensation, circulate stale air in the house. And of course, with our very siliconed windows that don't let any drafts in whatsoever, you've then got these, you know, airborne pathogens and this condensation building up in the home. And so that creates mold. Mold is the greatest survivor on earth. So once there's a nuclear war and it's all said and done, there will be two things still here, cockroaches and mold. (laughs) And so... You know, this is why mold is used in medicine. It's used in warfare. It is the great survivor. So, you know, long story short, I love looking at mold cases with people. They say, oh, I left the house or I painted the house. I bleached the house. There's no problem. Yes, there is. The mold is still in you. So mold spores, you breathe it in and your body is a lovely, warm, moist place. I really hate that word moist, but it applies. And guess what? Mold is in you. So I help people treat that. And the 
other thing I treat is the PNEI of trauma. So you mentioned it before, the psycho-neuroendoimmunology of trauma. Coming from a childhood where things weren't great, I developed a lot of issues from my childhood. Now, we all say that, you know, oh, yeah, I had a traumatic childhood, but you actually did. And so the emotions that you form when you're young or from any trauma, the emotions that you form, the things that your brain tells you, your limbic part of your brain, so the central part of your brain tells you, basically form a response. So you've got three areas of your brain. At the base, you've got your reptilian brain, which scans for danger. Anytime you walk into a room, it looks at, is something going to jump around that corner? Is the bookshelf going to fall on me? Is this going to happen? Like it looks for danger around every corner. Well, once that's calm, your limbic brain takes over and that looks at thought and emotion. And so when you're responding to trauma, the danger was in the past. Your limbic brain brings up the memory and it could be through a smell, a word, a song, a phrase, a temperature, anything could trigger it. And it then tells your reptilian brain, the body's in danger again. I just smelt baked bread, for example. And there's a trauma where something happened and you smelt baked bread. So it tells the reptilian brain that the body's in danger. So then that sets off a slurry of things. So how does it do it? Well, it sends off nerves, neural messages through the nerves. And it says, I smelt baked bread. I had this thought and now you're going to be in pain. So you'll get this random pain. You don't know where it's coming from. Now, if your body can't stop it there, it then becomes an endocrine thing. So not only have you smelt baked bread, you've had a thought, now you've got a random pain, but now all of a sudden you're feeling hot and clammy and or you may get the chills and you're just not quite feeling right. You'll get a bit dizzy in the head. Well, that's an endocrine response. And you know, you kind of go through that and you're going, oh, it'll be right in a minute. I'll be okay. And then a day later, you're sick. You've got this cold or this flu. You don't know where it's come from. Like, oh my God, I had nerve pain just yesterday. Then I had a hot flash or I felt a bit dizzy. Now I've got a cold. Great. Guess what? It's the same cycle. And it's come from what your limbic brain couldn't cope with. It remembered something, it wasn't pleasant. It's then sent messages all the way around. So this is part of the PNEI of trauma. And that's kind of a really basic way to describe it. But you know, as with all things in functional medicine, no body system works alone. They're all connected and they all communicate. And the, you know, one of my friends and, and mentors, Dr. Perry Nicholson from Stop Chasing Pain has a lovely quote, and that is, the body has absolutely no need to make any sense to you whatsoever. As long as it knows what it's doing, you don't need to know. And, you know, that's really true. The body systems do work together, and us mere humans, we do not understand it. We've become so evolved that we've devolved from understanding what our bodies are doing. But if you look at any wild animal, they listen to their body. They're not feeling well. They're stressed. Guess what? They deal with that then and there. They eat what they need to. They rest when they need to. 
you know, they don't have an influx of Wi-Fi and iPads and iPhones and TVs and jobs that they have to go to. And they just go, well, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to eat X, Y, Z, have a sleep and I'll be okay. It's funny you should bring the analogy of the animals into it because just recently I was talking to someone and they said animals don't need money. There's no money system in their world because money being brought into our world has made us need to buy this and earn this and go and do a job and do all the rest of it. So it's often very hard for you have x amount of days off work and so sometimes you go I'm sick I can't lie down I can't do this that or the other when really all you need to do is lie down and sleep for a few hours or a couple of days but your understanding of the body is very deep even though you say we don't know what's going on in the body but you've got a really great understanding of it now you've mentioned functional medicine I kind of know what it is but not all listeners would it's relatively new to me would you just briefly explain what functional medicine is sure so functional medicine is looking at what we can do for the body to help it function to make it easy so there's functional movement how can we move the body to make it functional that's things like being able to pick things up from the ground being able to squat in a correct squat pattern, being able to walk in a correct walking pattern. But functional medicine is looking at how we heal the body through things that come from nature, through things that we would normally come across pre since the industrial revolution, basically. You know, functional medicine is really what is the body saying? Why is it saying it? And how do we fix that and look at that in a way that doesn't cause any more toxicity or any more problems? Oh, that's a great explanation of it because it's a very simple one. And we are exposed to so much toxicity. It's really amazing to learn about the mold toxicity because before we came on the podcast, I was saying to you how I thought oh, it was only in damp countries, but not necessarily and Australia isn't necessarily a completely dry country either but it was the whole idea that it's not the house or your home isn't getting aerated so you've covered a lot there's so much in what you do we will move on now to the menopause because you know quite a bit about that and what happens in the body as well and you said you're 50 a couple of weeks ago So how has your journey into menopause or has it even started yet? Some people don't even start until their earlier mid-50s. Yes, well, menopause, been there, done that. (laughs) So how it started for me was hot flashes and I'd never had them before. All of a sudden I was getting lower abdomen body weight. I thought the heater was up roaring in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night. And my face would go red and I'd be dripping the sweat for about two minutes. And then it would stop and I'd go, what just happened? So part of my functional medicine learnings and innate immunity learnings is what is menopause. So I know if we look at symptoms like hot flashes and the weight gain and irritability, mood swings, that that's usually a low estrogen problem. Treating the low estrogen isn't really what we should be doing treating the cause of the low estrogen is what we should be doing 
if we scale it back for a minute and look at what menopause is, like pre-industrial revolution, women were in the fields growing their food with their families. Menopause was kind of that moment in time where you just stopped having babies. You weren't unwell. You were still working in the fields day after day. The only thing that changed was no more kids. So why isn't it that now? If we look at what menopause is, it really should be called adrenopause. Men get it too. Sorry, it's called andropause with them. But let's look across the board, men and women, adrenopause. So what is it? With women, we make all our hormones on an axis called the HPO axis, which is the brain to ovary axis. So the brain tells the ovaries, you know, you're fertile, you've got to have a baby, let that egg go, let's ovulate, let's have a baby, we'll do this cycle, it'll be great, you're going to feel great because, you know, once you've had a baby, you're feeling elated or you're supposed to, that's what's supposed to happen. Then feed the baby, baby will grow up, you might have another one, you'll feel elated again, you'll have that motherly bond, everything's great. And then at some point in time, the brain says, HPO axis switches off. I'm going to start the HPA axis. So that's the brain to adrenal axis. So the brain says to the body, right, ovaries are done. They've done their job. They don't need to make your hormones anymore, but your adrenals have to. Well, our adrenals work as our stress organs. Pre-modern life, the adrenals would start making the hormones. And yes, women would get a little bit heavier set, but they'd still be very happy no issues, no hot flashes, nothing. Like I said, they just stopped having babies. Well, nowadays what happens is we get that extreme weight gain, we get the hot flashes, we get irritability, we get headaches, we get a number of symptoms because we're already in a stressed state. So our adrenals are already working really hard. Now all of a sudden the brain is talking to the adrenals going, now you have to make the hormones. Well, we make the hormones from fat. So this is why we get the lower body fat. You create a fat situation so that you can make your adrenal hormones from there. This is what it basically is. It's adrenopause. So it's when your adrenals have to make those hormones. Now, I mentioned men get andropause. So you'll see men of middle age and all of a sudden they've got a beer belly. They never had one before. And they get this, they almost look like they're pregnant, this lower abdomen belly. And it's just stuck to the front, like someone's paper mache something and stuck it to them. Well, that's the same situation. They've gone from the HPT axis, so the brain testes axis, making all the hormones, and they've now changed to the HPA axis, same as us. Now an adrenal issue, it's a stress response. It's, you know, your body is just trying to make hormones completely differently to how it used to. So that's kind of brief synopsis of the science i have not heard that for all the the podcasts i have done in this and especially even when you describe the way the men it is true they it does look like someone's pasted on a belly to a lot of men and it happens all of a sudden i never for once equated that with the similar similar to what we do because i'm fairly fairly slim uh, but but I still have the bit around the middle and it's been there and I, I, nothing, I can't get rid of it. And, I, and like you said, it's fine. I, it doesn't matter anymore. It's there and it's not a, a big deal. But the adrenal 
pause would that what causes people to wake up at three or four in the morning as well I used to wake up I well for the first three months of my seriously getting into the menopause I was waking about four or five times a night until I took magnesium and after about three weeks of taking magnesium I started to sleep because I've always been a really good sleeper but I did notice that it would be three o'clock in the morning and that's isn't that the adrenal time in terms of the body or am I right about or wrong? You're about almost that? right there. <laughs> almost. About three or four in the morning, that's liver time. Liver is very, very connected, liver and kidneys, because the liver has to process everything, every thought, every emotion, every chemical, every compound, every vitamin, every mineral. All of our blood goes through the liver every single day to be processed, to be categorized. It says you're waste, you're a nutrient, you're this, you're that. And that's what the liver does 24 seven. But at about three or four in the morning, that's when the liver dumps a whole lot of stuff it doesn't deem necessary. And unfortunately that can wake you up. And that's when people go, do you know what? I'm a really great sleeper, but at about 3.30 in the morning, I just have to go pee. Well, that is your body going, get it out. It has to go. It's too much. Yes, it's tied to menopause. It's tied to adrenopause in that there could be an excess of hormone. There could be an excess of waste. You know, obviously when we have a hot flash, we create other imbalances in the body because we're not supposed to be burning hot like that for two minutes or whatever time it is. Yeah, that three to four in the morning is often the liver and then subsequently the kidneys flushing things out. Am I right in thinking that it may not necessarily be a menopause that someone is going through? It's a it's sort of like a culmination of the way they may have lived their life or treated their body in the earlier years. And then you have this happen at midlife, but it's not necessarily a menopause in the way that we understand it yes if you look at what we do earlier in life we do you know birth control pills iud's we do all these things to ourselves we eat chemicals we ingest chemicals so we might drink bottled plastic water and so that's got endocrine disruptors in it and fake estrogens and we're doing all these things to our bodies menopause now seems to be more of an issue because of the things that we've done the medications that we've taken going to the supermarket and buying food in shrink wrapped plastic microplastics in our food like there are a lot of things that we're doing now that make menopause or adrenopause worse but yeah particularly is it an adrenopause is it a reaction I think it's a combination how would you know whether it's more to do with their adrenals and less to do with their menopause well it's the same things menopause is your adrenals making your hormones whether your adrenals being asked to do too much or they're trying to put their own brakes on and do too little it's still the adrenals coming in every protocol is different for every single person but some things that you can do to make the switch in life a little more easier is reduce your toxicity really look at what you're putting into your body and that's just not what you're eating or drinking that's what you're thinking it's the chemicals in your home that you're surrounding yourself with it's your personal hygiene products are you putting fake estrogens or endocrine disruptors 
Are you putting those on your skin, in your soaps, in your shampoo, in your shaving cream, guys, in anything? What are you putting on your skin? What are you putting into your body? What are you thinking? What are you breathing in? These are things that we can do immediately to make the ride just that little bit easier. It won't stop the roller coaster, but it'll make the ups and downs on the roller coaster flatten out a little bit. Really, what are you doing? Are you doing a detox for two hours before you go to bed of all blue light so that you can actually sleep? Are you going for a walk in the early morning sun, the first few hours of the sunrise, so that your bacteria in your gut can make serotonin so that you can make melatonin to help you sleep? You know, what are you doing? Or are you just, you get up, it's dark, you get in the car, you go to work, you eat food, that you bought somewhere, you drink coffee through, you know, a takeaway coffee cup through the plastic lid and it's heated. So it's releasing more endocrine disruptors. Do you then drink your bottled water? Are you, you know, walking around a city in your lunch break or are you stuck under fluorescent light? No windows open. Maybe you're in a tall building. You can't open the windows and you get back in your car and you go home and now it's dark. And then you sit there watching TV and looking at your iPad till you go to bed or are you getting up going for a walk at some point in the morning opening the windows no matter what the temperature is using plants or essential oils in your home are you able to eat fresh food is what you're eating not coming from plastic you're not drinking tap water either you're drinking filtered minerals in the filtered water are you going wow I just had a really stressful thought that's okay I'll let that go. Now think of something really happy. And are you turning off all your appliances, your, you know, your, your media appliances rather, before you go to bed to let your brain calm down so your adrenals are not thinking you are in danger? So this is kind of what we can do. And, and it's not going necessarily from one to the other because, you know, they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. But what can you do each day to start doing that? Can you drink water from a glass bottle can you take a keep cup to work with you and drink your coffee from that what can I do today to reduce my footprint so our adrenals basically work to keep us alive to keep us safe they are absolutely amazing tips and so practical and so simple to do I am a real devil for my computer late at night and then going to bed, even though I sleep well, but maybe I'm not sleeping as well as I could. And a lot of people are on devices at the moment. So it's a very good advice to kind of get off it. Or if you can't, maybe even buy blue light glasses to at least stop that aspect of it getting into your eyes. But I know that every woman and every man is different in how you might treat them. And I'm, I'm sure you don't agree with taking even natural hormones to balance the system. What do, Would you be more along the lines of foods that you would eat to help you along? Or would you use supplements or anything like that? Sometimes I would recommend supplements. Sometimes, yes, I would recommend even natural sources of hormones. It depends on the person. But there's little things that you can do. Women, for example, women with hot flashes. What I want you to do is increase your fats. The first thing you can do is increase your fats because you're making hormones from your fat. A really good fat to have would be 
avocado. So if we're looking at an avocado, it takes nine months to go from flower to fruit. Now, if you cut an avocado open, it looks like a womb with the baby being the seed. This isn't by accident. So the fats in avocado are a natural balancer of your estrogen. They will raise your estrogen. There's one tip for you. For guys, figs are the way to go. So if you look at a fig, it never grows alone. It usually grows in pairs. Well, what does that remind you of? Now, I'm going to say this, and I guarantee any men listening are clutching their private parts as I say it. Cut a fig open, and what does it look like? You are actually going to raise your testosterone when you're eating figs. So there's a little tip that nature provides. Think of what it looks like. It's called the doctrine of signatures. That is what it helps. So, yeah, you know, what you eat certainly can help you. And it's not necessary that we go on hormone replacement or anything like that. In fact, that is going to create a further imbalance. But really look at, like I said before, what can you do to stop disrupting your endocrine system? You know, I have eaten so many avocados in my life that I am surprised I haven't turned into one. And I started in, I think it was my late 20s. I just got into having an avocado every day and I don't have them every day now, but I would have three or four avocados a week. A lot of, say, certain weight programs are very anti-avocados. They say, oh, they're full of fat. And for years I was saying to my friends, but it's a good fat. Look at me. I've eaten so many avocados. It does not put weight on. It's a really good fat. Any other foods that you could think about? Well, there's a lot of foods that help the body, but there's a lot of foods that harm the body. So the first thing is dairy. Now, dairy is obviously milk from a cow. You're not a calf. You shouldn't be drinking it. So what you can do is have almond milk. Obviously, that's made from nuts. It's a natural source. Nuts have good fats in them. So you're putting good fats in by drinking almond milk. If you drink soy milk, everyone thinks that's a really healthy option. Well, it's not because all soy in the world is GMO. Well, not all, but 95% is GMO, but it's an endocrine disruptor. So it's a phytoestrogen. It's from a plant, but it's not the estrogen that you need. First thing is dairy and soy. Cut it out. Get rid of it. And you will find that your journey is a lot better The dairy is the number one most inflammatory food stuff that we consume and don't want inflammation. Get rid of the dairy. Probably the next thing would be, as I said, things in plastic. Got things shrink-wrapped in plastic. You're drinking your coffee through the plastic lid. The more you put plastics in, the worse your endocrine system will be. And if we look at birth control pills, so I know we're talking menopause, but Birth control, when it first started, was made from plastic. Why do we think it's a good idea now? It's not made from plastic now. It's made from other chemicals, but it originated as plastic. Stop consuming foods in plastic. So there's another thing. If we look at things that we can do every day, your tap water. Why do you think your tap water is not brown and sludgy and full of dirt and minerals and things like it should be? 
If you go to a creek, you'll have the clear running water, but you'll see that there's a bit of brown sludge in it as well because it kicks up some of the riverbed or the creek bed. Well, that's minerals. So why do we have crystal clear water now that smells like chlorine? Why would we do that? Drink mineralized water. I'm not talking mineral water in a plastic bottle from the supermarket. I'm saying get a proper filter with minerals in it. There's plenty on the market and drink clean water. Drink it from glass, not from a plastic bottle. There's quite a few things that we can do. Even if we're not, you know, right into eating to improve our body, then we can stop harming it by reducing some of the things that we're doing. And would you recommend a detox as well, maybe when you get to menopause? I actually wouldn't. And you know why? Because detoxes can be very hard on the body. And if you haven't addressed root cause of what got you to the point that you're at at this time in your life, you could be stirring up a whole lot of stuff that maybe your liver can't cope with. So when we're looking at detoxing the body, we need to make sure, first of all, that we start from the bottom up. And I mean the bottom up. If you have any kind of constipation or diarrhea or gut imbalance, then doing a detox is not going to be a great idea because you haven't addressed where things need to drain through. So if you look at your body as a clawfoot bathtub full of water, you know, it's very enjoyable. The water's beautiful. It's warm. Imagine the drainage pipes are all blocked with something and sludgy and whatever. Take the plug out of your beautiful serene bathtub and the water either sits there or it gurgles or some of the sludge from the pipe will actually come back into your beautiful water. Detox without addressing the pathway we need to clear it through, we can cause some problems. So we start at the back end, literally, and then we look at what sends the messages that that is waste. Well, the liver does that. If you haven't taken care of your liver before you do a detox, your liver doesn't know what's a nutrient, what's a waste, what can be recycled, reused, what to need, needs to be expelled. Just going straight into a detox, probably not a good idea unless you've addressed a few things along the way. So colon needs to be cleared out and the liver at the same time or one, one before the other. Yeah, um, colon first. Magic, we could talk for hours. In a way, this was most enjoyable, but I didn't know where to go because you know so much and I just want to know it all. So it's been really, really great speaking about everything so far. And I definitely would like to have you back on because it'd be great to drill down into some of the, the things that you've been talking about. And your knowledge is very, very deep on the body and things, everything to do with it, and, and especially about how to feed it and how to basically how to manage your body because it is a, a biological system that needs to be managed well and continually managed at that. But we might finish off here with the last couple of questions that we often ask, and that is what has been your greatest challenge so far? in life and there's been many there have been many I guess the greatest challenge so far in life is raising my kids they don't come with a manual you know I can study everything else and know in depth what is happening but a teenage boy well that's a whole world on its own and what are you most proud of which probably links into that I would say 
Definitely. I am most proud of my kids through everything that my body has been through, my mind has been through. I look at these two amazing human beings and I just go, wow. You know, they've had to look after me when I was on death's door and they were only young when they did it. And I guess because of the work I've taught them with the PNEI system, they don't harbour resentment. They don't harbour issues from that. It's like, well, you got sick, you couldn't look after yourself, so we jumped in. And it doesn't mean anything to us and it doesn't mean anything about us. It is just what it is. So I look at them and I just go, well, they've done pretty well. I'm pretty proud of them. In a way, adversity does make a person better and building resilience as well. So the kids were building resilience through all of that and actually had to look after someone and care for someone as well. And sometimes this just happens in life and there's not much you can do about it but that's amazing gosh I'd love to meet your boys (laughs) they sound amazing like amazing young men what do you value most in life what I value most in life is life you know there's been plenty of points in my life that it nearly wasn't and so every day that I wake up I know this sounds corny listeners but every day I wake up I go well, cool. I get another shot at it. And it doesn't matter what happens. And, you know, not every day is peaches and cream. It's really not. I have to say there are days when I'm not a person that you want to be around. But do you know what? At least I had another chance to to have another go. And every day is a gift. And I think whether I had faced my mortality or not, that is something that I've taught myself that you know every day is a gift as we're speaking now here in Australia the sun's starting to stream in and shine on me and you know isn't that wonderful no matter what's happening in the world no matter what beliefs people have no matter what corporations are doing governments are doing my neighbors are doing it doesn't matter the sun is still shining on me today and okay it's going to be freezing out there when I go out there but how lucky am I that I can feel that how lucky am I that I'm going to go into the freezing cold air and into the sunshine today and you know I can see the listeners can't see this but it is a beautiful beam of light that's just under your your face and covering part of your face at times And it's true, the sun rises and it sets every single day. Now, granted, you see more of the sun, a bit more of it than we do here in Ireland. But the sun is still up there and it gives us so much light. Um, It's wonderful. And have you any nuggets of wisdom that you would pass on to our listeners? And I don't need to ask, have you any? I know you have, but which ones would you like to share? I guess the most important one is listen to your body. It's your friend. It's your best friend and it wants you to live and survive and enjoy and thrive. So listen to your body every single day. That makes my heart swell that your body is your friend. You've literally changed some of my own perspective as I listen to you throughout this conversation. Um, You do a number of things as well. You're based in Victoria in Australia, close to Melbourne. I do have a few Australian listeners as well, but do you do personal sessions as well, physical sessions? 
with people. Of the so when the world changed over the past couple of years, we actually closed our clinics. We had two clinics in Melbourne and we closed our clinics. They won't be reopening. So what we've done is we've pivoted the business and the practitioners and I work remotely. So anyone can go to our website, www.holisticnaturalhealth.com.au. And that's holistic with a W in front of it. And we work remotely. So we work with people all around the world. We take it in turns who gets to work in the middle of the night. (laughs) But uh, yes, we do work remotely with anyone around the world. Just starts with, you know, sending us a contact. We'll send you an intake form. It's called our root cause analysis that is all free. We go through the 17-page form that we send you and we find what is your root cause. We do a, a free or a complimentary call with you. And from that point, we can give you recommendations on what we would do, what we would do with you. Other things, if you're not a right candidate to work with us, we'll send you to people that maybe you are the right candidate for. So everything ethically and sustainably and holistically. So anyone listening to this anywhere in the world can actually contact you. Um, put all of this in with the episode notes. Magic, it has been magic talking to you, <laughs> to be a bit corny. But it really has. I have learned so much from you today. So thank you so much. And I definitely would like you to come back on again. And I'm sure my co-host, Carol, would like to interview you as well about a couple of things because you, you do a lot and we could both cover a couple more conversations with you. It'd be so great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Lady Time. I hope you enjoyed it and find it useful and helpful as much as I did myself. Please do share it with your friends and your family and on your social media and subscribe to Lady Time. You'll find us on Facebook. If you search for Lady Time podcast, you'll see all of our links there and everything that we're up to. Until our next episode, bye for now.